very good morning to you and welcome if you're just joining us specifically for the Garden Programme on this Saturday morning here on Midwest Radio. Pori Corkin, good morning. Good morning, Deirdre. It sounds from the weather forecast that today is the day to do the gardening, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought it was going to be really, well, fairly pleasant weekend all around, yeah. but it would appear that Sunday. The worst of it is going to be tonight, though. Tonight, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But we've had so much rain during the week. And, uh, but today is lovely. I mean, I, it's gorgeous. I came up this morning. Yeah. It's, it's chilly out there, but it's lovely and dry. Yeah. So there was no frost, though, I don't There was think. no frost, no. That no, I no. experienced. Right, and you were up early <laughs> I was than up, I was. <laughs> the moon was full in the sky when I was coming My in this God. morning, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I think today today is the day to do the gardening jobs because it sounds it's going to be very wet yeah. Sunday, Monday. Anyway, there's hurling on tomorrow, so we might be able to That's right. That. That's a good excuse, yeah. yeah. So get out there today and do tidy up the garden and get it in ship shape. In ship shape, absolutely. Enjoy tomorrow. Now, a lot of people have been in contact with us from early morning, Cork, I'd like to like to say. So, uh, lots of questions uh, have come in already. If you do have a question for Porik this morning, let us give you a quick reminder as to how you get in contact. If you're texting us, it's 87 41 with thanks to CNC Cellular, where switching your landlines to Vodafone is easy at any of CNC Cellular's nine stores across the region. You can call us, and Petrina is taking calls for us this morning uh, on 0818 and there, a couple of emails have come in during the week so if you want to do that either it's garden at midwestradio.ie yeah so all technology has been used all technology is being used <laughs> sometimes I'm tempted to use Twitter but maybe not uh, I think what we have is is, is probably sufficient okay First question, so Porik, out of the blocks and for the person who was up very early this morning. Uh, bedding plants have finished flowering and in their pots, what evergreen shrubs could they plant into pots now? Oh, well, That's yeah, a nice it, idea. It is, and I suppose we're coming to that time of year where, where between the wind and the rain and everything, the, the, the summer bedding is going to be coming to a, to a finish. Mm. It'll be finishing up flowering now, particularly with this cooler temperature. So it is a good time to actually change the boxes now. Hanging baskets, window boxes, patio containers, empty out all the contents, compost and all. Put it on your compost heap and let it rot down. Make sure you use some fresh compost. And in terms of evergreen shrubs, I would be thinking of plants like the skimmias are lovely at the moment. Their uh, skimmy rubella in particular, I think we mentioned it on the programme before. It's got those lovely red buds, flower buds coming on it now, dark green foliage. And uh, it's, it, it carries that colour right through till April of next year when the flowers come into bloom and they're highly scented. But there are different varieties of, of uh, skimmia. Merlot is a, a lovely one. It's a variegated foliage um, with nice flowers, scented flowers as well. Uh, the other plant I would put in at this time of the year, variegated hebes are actually lovely at the moment. They've okay. got bright, uh, colourful foliage and they'll hold that colour right through till uh, till this time next year. Um, some of the smaller, um, the uh, Pieris Katsuru, the little, uh, it's in the, the um, similar to Forest Flame, but it's got that lovely red foliage and that'll be coming, it holds this green foliage for the winter and then comes into to leaf in April next year. Galterias would be nice or Pernet they carry berries for the winter okay. period. So they're lovely. They're full of berries at the moment. So there's lots of evergreen shrubs that you could put in, in patio containers, depending, of course, on the size of the container. Um, but and I would also add some, some of the spring and winter flowering plants like winter pansies, violas, the little primulas, cyclamen, trailing ivies, and all the spring flowering bulbs can be put in containers at this time of year. So really... It's a great time to redo the containers and uh, a mixture of evergreen shrubs and some flowering plants is really what I would go for in some of the bulbs as well. And that'll give you colour right through from now, right through to April or May of next year. OK, that's what I was just going to ask you. Will How long will, will that kind of give you the good winter out of it? Oh, so. it would, of course. Yeah, it would, of course. It'll, you know, and particularly you'll get coloured through the winter, through Christmas, particularly shrubs like the Galteria with the lovely red berries or the Pernetias with the berries. Uh, but any of the winter flowering pansies or violas, cyclamen, will flower through and then the bulbs will give a great riot of colour in March, March, April sort of period. So a mixture of all of those plants um, and they're available in centres at the moment. Excellent. And will those evergreens then last uh, continuously on or have they well, gone to I, a specific time? Of what I would do is, you know, change the containers then next April so that those shrubs that I mentioned can be planted out into the garden and let them grow in, in your garden area because over time they are going to get larger and they'll probably just take up the pot completely. But really just for, for a splash of winter colour, um, all the plants, those shrubs I mentioned, I'd leave them in for the winter and then next April or early May when you're redoing your, your containers with summer bedding, plant them out into the garden or into larger pots to grow on. Okay. But it's a good time to be changing and 
uh, containers, you know, to be throwing out the, the old flowers now and, and replanting before we get into the depths of winter. Right, and, and getting new compost in as well. New compost is important mm. because you'll find that the, the whole uh, ball of compost will be full of, of roots, so it's better to put that on the compost heap or spread it in the vegetable garden, somewhere like that where you're going to reuse it and take it into the soil. Lovely. Now, do uh, how much of the old foliage can somebody cut back on strawberries? They're in a tunnel. Yeah, well, you can you can actually cut them quite severely back, um, and and the, they have been growing. And I suppose the tunnel, the tunnel keeps them growing for for a longer period than you'd have them outside. But certainly, you can cut back, um, cut them back within two to three inches of ground level would be my advice. Um, so get a a good strong secateurs or or clippers and cut them right back, tidy them right back. Um, from that, that'll stimulate some new growth. You'll find in the tunnel they'll actually start to grow over the winter period, and uh, it helps to remove any disease or pests as well off the strawberries. So it's a very good idea uh, to clean them up and tidy them up. Now I would normally traditionally advise people to do it after they pick the fruit in July because it gives the strawberries enough time then between now, between then and autumn to put on a fresh crop of new leaves. But you can still do it at this time of year and it's highly advisable to tidy them up. Those leaves are going to die off anyway over the winter period So. so it's a good idea to trim them back now. So right back within two inches of ground level with the okay. shears and they'll be perfectly okay. Great stuff. Now, I don't know if we, we might not know the answer to this, but listeners might be able to give us the information. Somebody's wondering, do we know where the nature garden is today? So if anybody can advise that, no. us on that. Uh, 087-900-4141 is the text. Uh, somebody has a great crop of lupin and hollyhock right. plants, which Excellent. they sowed from seed in August after your advice. Right, uh, should okay, they leave good. them out for the winter? Um, I know. I, I would well if you can at all keep them inside. If you've got a protected area, okay. a conservatory, a greenhouse, tunnel. Um, if not, put them in a sheltered spot, and um, you know just keep them out of the heavy. It's the wetness really that actually damages them rather than the coldness. So if they're left out in a very damp, wet area, and um, that'll certainly knock them back. So I would keep them. Try and keep them protected as much as possible, and then plant those uh, hollyhock and, and lupins out in February or March of next year, and they should flower for you next summer. Okay, lovely. Now, Laurel Hedge, it's full of strong grass and also they have the same grass growing through a ground cover plant. Can you help? Okay. Are you asking me the answer to that question? You should remember this one. I think it's called Fusilade. It is, it is. And Fusilade would be the one to use. Uh, It's, it's, as you remember, it's it's just a grass... (coughs) killer mm-hmm. uh, so it can be used on on hedges on particularly uh, for for ground cover plants very difficult to get grass out of cotoneaster or conifers or whatever it may be so uh, fusilade can be used now and indeed you'll find it, it very effective at this time of year so you right. simply mix it up in water apply it to you can apply it safely to the shrub or the hedge it'll kill that strong grass off without affecting the, your plants and remember it only kills grass so it's a, a specific grass weed killer um, so that can be applied to dry weather, obviously, to, to put it on. And remember that you can spray it on the entire shrub safely. without It won't damage the shrub and it will kill the grass off. OK, and uh, how long would the weather need to be dry for um, when you apply? I suppose I'm thinking now, for example, let's take the weekend that, uh, yeah. and the forecast, which we've tentatively given you because we always know that, you know, we, we kind of, uh, it's a guide rather than specifics. But if it is dry today and then going to be wet tonight, is that... That's fine. A, a long enough window yeah, it if is? You could, if you could spray, say, today and you had two to three hours of drying, you really just okay. want the fusillade to dry into the foliage of the grass. So once it's dry, it has absorbed it, it'll take it down into the root and kill it off. If you had a shower of rain within half an hour of applying it, then I'd say reapply. Okay reapply. So try and get a dry period. And that would apply with any weed killers that you may be using, uh, Weed Free 360 or any of those. You need at least two to three hours of drying after uh, after you're applying. And I would also advise people that if it's windy, to be careful when using weed killers, you know, you, because the, the dri- it'll drift, the spray will drift onto other plants. So you want a relatively calm <laughs> dry <Jeez>. day <laughs> with, with two to three hours okay. of drying. If you're applying weed killers, all right, or else, and you have probably, or else be fierce, careful. Yeah, or you have a window probably for the next two to three weeks where where the application of weed killers will be effective. After right. that, once we get into the kind of middle part of October, as it gets that bit colder, then they're going to be less effective. So, do temperatures also have an have a have an impact? They do indeed, and and the reason I I mentioned a couple of weeks back that autumn is a great time to apply to kill off weeds is that they're naturally dying back themselves. The sugars are breaking down; they're returning to the root. So, scutch grass or docks that they've stopped growing and all that energy is returning back into the roots so the root is swelling up for the winter so 
if you can apply a weed killer onto the foliage, that obviously goes back into the root um, and, and you get a very good kill. Right. So it is a good time to, to apply and to control weeds, but obviously you need relatively dry weather and relatively calm weather. Okay. So today now, might be a window. Today might be a window. This morning, get up this early as soon as we're finished. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and off you go. Um, somebody's <laughs> wondering if it's too early to prune roses after all this wind and rain, the flowers are gone. Ah, no. I, we know you could start pruning them now um, start cutting them back. Uh, if we do get a bit of mild weather, you'll actually find the, the, some new growth on them. But yes, they've been knocked about, I suppose, quite a bit over the last uh, couple of weeks. And if they've gone out of flower, uh, if they're looking a little bit raggedy, you could certainly cut them back. The other thing you can do with the cuttings you take off, mm-hmm. the pieces you do cut back, uh, you could use those as cuttings. Um, so you can propagate some of your rose plants at this time of year. So I would advocate that you cut them if they're two or three feet high, cut them back to within six inches of ground level, tidy them up now, tidy up the bed, put them to bed right. for the winter. And then those cuttings that you actually take off will be about a foot long or 18 inches uh-huh. long. You can use those for little cuttings yes. for and root them in a little bit of rooting powder, put them into a trench out of doors with a bit of sand in the trench okay. and leave them for the winter and see what happens then next spring as they come into growth. Brilliant stuff. Now, this is a new one on me. Somebody is wondering, how do they grow seeds from my sea buckthorn hedge? Well, sea buckthorn is... Um, Full of orange berries. It is, yeah, yeah. It's actually a great, a great I'll plant. I'll have to Google that now. I've never come well, across the, that before. Well, the botanical name, just to Sorry, con- give okay, you, yes. even make it more confusing... <laughs> There's me Googling. ...is one called... It's a plant called Hippophae. Ramnoides, so it's a silver-leafed plant commonly called sea buckthorn and you tend to see it in seaside areas because it tolerates the sea brilliantly. It makes a very good hedge or small to medium-sized tree and you'll know it at this time of year because it's got silver leaves and it's got orange berries. Sounds gorgeous. Yeah, it's quite a... It's probably not the most attractive plant. Oh, right, okay. Right? Yeah. Not the most... It is uh, unusual in that the, the berries are very striking and the leaves are silver. Okay. But in terms of a hedging plant, yeah. sea buckthorn makes a superb, uh, really tough, thorny okay. hedge. Thorn. Uh, it is deciduous, right. so it sheds its leaf in winter. Um, but it's a good, tough seaside uh, hedge. And this is the time of year that you'll see the orange berries, which contain the seed. So if you want to sow plants from it, you simply, like I mentioned with the white thorn last week, you simply gather the seed at this time of year, take the seed out of the flesh, sow it directly into, into seed trays or pots or out into the open ground. It'll germinate next spring. And those leave them to grow on for about a year and those plants then can be transplanted about a foot apart to form a solid hedge for you. So particularly for listeners in seaside areas, look out for that plant, sea buckthorn. It's very tough, very hardy. Um, you can sow it from seed, from the berries, or you can purchase it as plants over the winter period and it makes a very solid, thick hedge. They're actually male and female plants. So it's a bit like the holly. It's a bit like the holly and the way you we, when you sow them from seed the way you'll know the female plants is that they're a very smooth stem very uh, there's oh, okay. no bumps or cracks or whatever okay. it's a very smooth stem and you need obviously male and female to get the berries so, so. you need to plant both together but generally if you sow a, a good bunch of seed the chances are you'll have both you'll have male. a mix yes you will okay yeah. so let's see buckthorn so a good seaside hedge you know, not, not not one that we'd commonly mention, to be quite no, honest. No, well, I've yeah. never heard of it yeah. before, I suppose, coming from the inland side of the country rather than uh, the seaside side myself. I've never come across it. No. And it, would you see it inland? Yeah, I was just going to say it, that. Yeah. It, grows, it grows inland. I've ne- yeah, I've never seen and it. And you notice that at this time of year, because the orange berries, they're kind of uh, nearly yellowish orange berries, oh, are very distinctive at this yeah, time of year. Exactly. So now that you'll notice it rather than maybe during the, the, the summer months. Okay, and can you sow it then? A, I mean, that's obviously in a hedge form. Can you sow them individually? like how would it fare oh, out as, as, a, as a tree kind of thing you can grow it as a tree it, yeah. it would grow very similar to a white thorn that kind yeah. of loose branch because I'm thinking branch. I, the Paul Scarlet would be of oh, another yeah. fam- a similar yes. family would it, it would but the Paul Scarlet would be probably a nicer more decorative tree right. whereas the Hippophae or the, the Sea Buckthorn is um, a little bit more raggedy kind okay. of a little bit more looser rustic. growth rustic is the word very good <laughs> but it, but grown as a hedge you see you're keeping it trimmed so yeah. it makes a very nice formal hedge and really it's a great sea protector it's a protector of yes. other plants in seaside areas okay just tolerates the sea very well okay so well clear. there you go that's that that person hopefully will have more question, sea buckthorn <laughs> i think we did sorry i i was i was digressing as i tend to do go off tangent a small bit occasionally anyway uh, i think we have given the answer there now somebody has green slime on their timber fence between themselves and the next garden how did they get rid of that well it's the same as um, there's a lot of algae and there's a lot mm. of uh, nostoc and a lot of algae and lichens and mosses in general uh, both on 
on uh, timber fencing and on paving. Really, the Patio Magic will get rid of that for you. You can use it on timber surfaces as well. So simply just mix it up, spray it onto the, the timber fence and it'll kill it within a couple of days. So Patio Magic will remove it for you. Okay, one more and then we're going to take a quick break. What's the name of the indoor plant with the large trumpet-shaped flowers that you can grow from a bulb? They had them last year and they were brilliant. They're the uh, hippiastrums, the uh, amaryllis. The amaryllis. Um, and they're, yeah, the bulb is like a, it's like a small turnip. Yes. And uh, the bulbs are available at this time of year and the plants are available and they're lovely. If you plant them now, actually it's a great one for children now. That's, that's a, a, a really good idea. Because it grows quickly. It, it grows and it grows very easily as well. So you simply buy the bulb. It's a very large bulb. So visually it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very large. You stick it in a pot of compost, water it well. It'll start to grow within a couple of weeks and it produces these massive trumpet-shaped flowers, generally four per stem. And, and they face north, south, east, west, just mm. opposite one another. And they come in reds and in whites and pinks. So those bulbs are available at this time of year. Pot them up now. They should be coming into flower then for Christmas. If you, if you, it takes them about two months to come into bloom. Right. And they're indoors, so you pot them, pot, pot them up indoors. So that's hippiastrum or amaryllis bulbs. Look for those in, in garden centres this time of year. Okay, lovely stuff. We're going to take a very quick break. We're back with more in just a moment. Okay, great variety of questions all together this morning. where was I? I better go in order here in case I miss anybody's. Um, what tulips or daffodil types are good for growing as cut flowers, Porrick? Well, any any of the long-stemmed uh, daffodils or tulips. Um, funny enough, uh, the, there's quite a number of, of collections that you can buy this uh, at this this time of year where the, the growers have actually put tulips and daffodils that flower at the same time. Okay, so they kind year. of complement each other. Exactly, because the daffodils, depending on the varieties, can start flowering from late February right through till early May. Mm. So what they've actually done is put together a, a collection of, of bulbs that, that flower at the same time. Um, spring Explosion is a good one. Sounds lovely. Morning Sunrise. Oh, yes. And there's some dark <laughs> colours called Midnight Dream. Okay. Which are dark tulips and, uh, you know, dark dark bulbs with darker flowers yeah. as well. So Midnight they're Dream. kind of the deep purpley colours. Deep purpley colours. So any of those three will be, look for those collections. Or, you know, some of the bulbs I mentioned last week, pheasant eye, uh, daffodils would, are lovely, very good for cutting as well and they stand well. If you want scent, hyacinths would be lovely. Again, they give you a shorter stem, but mm. very good for, for for cutting as well. Um, so any of those, I mean, really just go for the long-stemmed daffodils, tulips, hyacinths, um, the fritillarias would be good. The hippiastrum, the amaryllis, makes a lovely cut flower as well. Maybe and that's bit. kind of that's good a good head on it. As it's well, got a re- really yeah. strong head, and and if you pick the flower when it's in bud, the flowers then will open in the vase as well. So any of those, I mean, it's a good time to be planting bulbs in general. Lovely. Now here's an interesting one. A lady has a rose bed that had about fifty roses in it. She's had this for years, but it isn't doing very well. So they're taking out the rose bed and they're going to put in a heather bed instead. Okay. How would they prepare the new bed for replanting the heather? And what type of heathers should she use? Should she use mix uh, a mix of winter and summer heathers? Well, well, first of all, just to talk about heathers in general. Yeah. I mean, you're coming into a great time for planting them. The winter flowering heathers are starting to flower now, and they'll flower from now right through to late April, early May. So they're not just winter, they actually flower right through the spring period. They're flowering for nearly seven months of the year. And I would go with that range of plants because within the winter flowering varieties, you've got possibly 12 or 15 different varieties and a a variety of colours from golden foliage varieties. uh, There's a lovely one called Fox Hollow, which has bright yellow foliage, which turns a lovely kind of orange colour in the winter as the weather gets colder and it produces a nice pink flower. There's varieties like Merton Ruby, which is, as the name suggests, Ruby. It's a red, really vivid red. Kramer's Red, which is more a purpley pink. Yeah, yeah, um, gorgeous options there. So there's a huge ra- range of different varieties of heathers you can plant now. The reason I'd also go for the winter flowering varieties is that they'll tolerate any type of soil. So they'll tolerate a limey soil or an acid soil. Summer flowering varieties need an acid soil. They need a peaty-natured soil. So there's a lot more work in terms of preparation. And generally, to be honest, the summer is a time when the garden looks well anyway. Mm. So I would add more towards the winter flowering varieties. Through that, so in in terms of digging out, dig out the roses. Um, I would then till over the soil, get rid of any weeds that might be there. If you can get some organic matter, some well-rotted manure, um, be it uh, farmer manure or mushroom compost, that would be a good idea to dig into the bed. Right. You could also add some peat into the bed as well uh, so that the structure of the soil is, is reasonably loose 
um, with, a, with a good compost or a peaty mixture to it. And then it's just a matter of planting the heathers into it. Plant them in groups of the same colour. So if you're putting in the foxhole I mentioned, put in about five or six of that variety, space them about 18 inches to two feet apart. So you're, you're forming a, a group that will grow into one large clump of fox hollow. Mm. So you're getting this kind of pattern through the bed. So don't plant a whole mixture of different, you know, one here, one there. Right. Put them in Give clusters them in, yeah. of the same variety. That's important. So you might decide to go for six or seven different varieties and put them in in groups of fives or six. Um, the other thing that you can mix through them then is some maybe dwarf conifers or for some dwarf shrubs, just to give a bit of uh, a variety to the bed. And the other thing I would do is plant some spring bulbs. Dwarf flowering daffodils like Little Witch mm-hmm. is a lovely variety. February Gold is another lovely one. It only grows about six or eight inches high. Um, crocuses, cyclamen, um, snowdrops, any of those short bulbs really look fantastic with heathers. And what happens over time is that the heathers will fill the bed completely. Yeah. So they'll close in, there'll be no soil visible. And the bulbs then will come up every spring through the heathers, heathers. give a great show of colour. Then as the bulbs are going over, the heathers will cover over the the dying foliage. So it's a great complementary two companion plants that we would always put together, heathers and spring flowering bulbs. And, And they work just so well together because bulbs can look a little bit tatty as they're beginning to go out of flower and yeah. as the foliage is dying back. So the so heathers kind of take over from that. The heathers smother that completely, yeah. you don't see it. And heathers are great because they're they're also great, say, on slopes or banks because they tend to um, control weeds. You know, they're, they're, there's relatively little maintenance to, to a heather bed. So it's a very good option for me, and particularly the winter varieties, which flower, they're called winter, but mm. to be honest, they flower from now until the end of April, early okay. May. I'm actually, after only putting in a, a heather bed myself in, in, the, in, the, in my own garden, oh, lovely. because I thought, you know, it's a yeah. great solution to an area, to a bed, that you want to keep it relatively maintenance-free, lots of colour through the winter and spring, and also then introducing the spring bulbs is a really good idea. Great so it's a, it's a really good solution to the rose and far less maintenance. I was going to say it does <laughs> sound, it sounds yeah, like yeah, my yeah. kind of uh, planting, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. No, they're really good and yeah. they're tough. And if you go for the winter varieties, and as I say, there's about twelve or fifteen varieties available at this time of year. Um, you you know they're easy to grow. They grow in ordinary garden soil. They're easy to maintain, and they give such a long six months a minimum of flower color. Okay. So they're terrific. So they're, yeah, for some reason in my head, I always felt or I thought, uh, probably I don't know where I picked this up, that do heathers have to be kind of more in boggy? Uh, well, well, that's it. I mean, you know, the, the, the more peaty <coughs> soil, I suppose, well, really. Think of our bogland. Yeah. You know, it's it's the ling heather. The calunas, the ling heather, which grows in the bog, and it does need an acid soil, and it flower. They flower predominantly kind of July, August, September, October. That, that, that you know, they've gone out of flower nearly at this time of year, or, or will go out in the next couple of weeks. They need a very acid soil, and there's a lot of work in getting the your soil. Unless you've, you're fortunate to have boggy natured or peaty natured soil, then certainly the summer varieties are an option. But for me, the winter ones are just so easy to give colour at a time of year when the garden is boring there's very little colour and irrespective of the frosts and the snows they, f- they will continue to bloom they can be covered in a foot of snow and they'll still and they're still flowering away <laughs> <God> <laughs> it. I, or not. I hope they're not covered in a foot of snow <laughs> well, no, year, but, but <laughs> I mean you know as soon as the snow disappears they, they come, they're, they're back, still in flower they're back in action yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and because you see the interesting thing is that they're flowering through the winter temperatures are cooler so it's like putting a bunch of flowers in a fridge the, the, the cold winter keeps the flowers flowering longer Whereas the summer heathers tend to be shorter, they're three months, four months, because it's warmer temperatures right. and they just go over, over faster. Right. So okay. it's, it's often the end of April before the winter heathers actually finish flower. Depending on how cold the winter is. Yeah, exactly, yeah. A large garden with rushes and small whin bushes growing. How do you get rid of them? What's the best time to treat them? Well, it depends where they're growing. If the rushes and, and whins are growing, say, through a lawn area, grass area, then use uh, one of the selective weed killers, called, one called dico flower, would be very effective at this time of year. So if you've got rushes, uh, broadleaf weeds in general, the dico flower would be very, very effective. Mm. If it's in... Um, if it's in a, just a kind of a, a rough area and you just want to get rid of the, the winds and rushes, then I would use one of the brushwood killers, uh, which are very good. Again, you can use them at this time of year. Mix them up. Now, remember that the brushwood killer will kill anything it touches. So right. if you've got any lawn area or, or shrubs around it, then it will damage it. So dicoflower if, if, the, if the rushes or the winds are growing up through a lawn area and then use the 
uh, brush with killer in, in an area that's just rough and you want to kill everything. Okay. Somebody has a forest flame. It's growing well in the garden. Good. Are there any other types of this plant with a different colour? Oh, there are, yeah. And again, forest flame, if it's growing well in your garden, you've obviously got acid soil, you've got a peaty uh, natured soil or a low lime soil. Uh, there's a, the, the variety I mentioned this morning, one called Pieris Katsuru, is a very nice one. It's got lovely red foliage and the red uh, coloration st- stays for many months. So it, it comes out in March and will stay off until, until May, early mm-hmm. June sort of period. So that's quite a good one. There's also a lovely variegated form of Pieris, uh, various Japonica variegata, which has got variegated foliage and also that nice pink color foliage in the springtime. So look out for that variety as well. But because of your soil uh, type, you would also be able to grow things like azaleas, camellias, rhododendrons, uh, any of those plants that can be can be a little bit more tricky for other people mm. to grow. So if you've got uh, forest flame growing in the garden, it's an indication your soil is slightly acid and so you can grow quite a wide range of unusual plants like the camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, uh, blue hydrangeas, that sort of thing could be added to the to the garden. Okay, great stuff. Now, I'm just going to turn my attention, sorry, excuse the noise here, uh, to the emails, um, Porek, and somebody has a, a question regarding planting bare root hornbeam hedging okay. uh, either side of a five foot paved walkway. How far from the walkway should they plant the bare root and how tightly can hornbeam be kept? That's from Manus. Good morning, Manus. Well, hornbeam, it's a, it's a, it's a, it makes a lovely hedge um, or it makes a, a very good... Um, specimen tree and you'll actually often see them planted in towns and cities uh, because they do very well. They, if left alone they have this lovely conical shape, this cone shape nice. um, and but it also makes a terrific hedge as well. Remember it is deciduous so it's going to drop its foliage in winter. In terms of planting it against the paving I would keep it about two and a half to three feet away from the paving. The roots of hornbeam go down so they're not surface rooting like poplars or cherries. They're not going to cause any problem to the paved area and that's why they're used in a lot of cities and paved in paved areas in cities because the roots have a, a have a strong rooting structure that goes deep into the soil. So um, as a hedge, you can just keep it trimmed. Um, you can keep it quite tightly trimmed, and you can. It's up to yourself really what height you allow it to grow. You can keep it as low as four or five feet, or allow it to grow eight, nine, ten feet. It's very like beech in in nature, but it tends to be a little bit faster growing than okay. beech. So a good, a very good choice. Um, as I say, keep it about two and a half feet away from the paved area. Put the plants in about two feet apart as a hedge. And then with all hedging plants, I like to see them trimmed wider at the base than on top. So generally you, you keep the hedge maybe three feet wide at the base, two and a half feet at the very top. So it's sloping upwards and inwards. Tends to It looks better and it's easier to keep it trimmed that way. And it's a better way for the hedge to grow itself as well. Yes. So keep that conical shape on it. And as I said, you can keep it trimmed to whatever height you want. So it's a it's a good hardy hedge, but do remember it is deciduous, so it's going to drop its foliage in winter. Okay, so just if you're looking for privacy, that well, you yeah. know, you will have the structure over time. Mm. You'll have the branch structure there, like beech would have. But by certainly the end of October, hornbeam will be out of leaf, and it'll be back in leaf then again about the middle of March right. again. Well, but it's a lovely, yeah. lovely hedge. You and tough, sit, and it's you won't hardy. be sitting out in the garden too much during <coughs> no, those you won't. months, probably. And it's frost hardy as well. You know, it oh, was one of those that came through the frost very okay. well. So hornbeam is a carpinus is the is the uh, botanical name for them, or hornbeam. Okay. Is the sweet gum tree? I'm not sure what a sweet gum tree is, sweet but gum, is it you know oak? It. I do. Do I? Yeah. Okay. Is, is it okay to plant in a lawn area? They're looking for a tree with good leaf and color and shape. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a great choice. Sweet gum is is the liquid amber that we talked about a couple oh, of weeks right, back. Right. Right. Um, it's commonly called sweet gum, but it, it, it's liquid amber. It's um, it's got leaves like a, a maple leaf. It's very good in in uh, medium to large size gardens. Great autumn color. So it's a very very good choice. Um, it, what it doesn't like is soil that's um, waterlogged or that, you know, retains water, heavy natured soil. It wants a free draining soil. But okay. apart from that, it makes a superb uh, specimen tree. What The way I would grow it is to, you'll buy the plants at this time of year about maybe six feet high, seven feet high. I would prune off the lower branches so you're creating a nice clean stem on the plant. Trim off maybe the top uh, stems as well so you're you're getting the head the head of the tree to fill out so a lollipop shape is really the nice ideal shape for a, a liquid amber so a nice clean stem and then branching from about three or four feet upwards um, and pick a nice 
area in the garden where it's not hidden so a nice you know somewhere that it'll actually be very visible because right. it's a very nice focal point in the garden and lovely autumn colour at this time of the year that it's beginning to colour so the reds and the oranges are coming into the leaf and uh, makes a really nice tree. Okay makes a bit of a statement of it. It does and it does well here in, in the west of Ireland it's one of those and you'll find again the colder the autumn the better the colour. Okay. So and sweet cum, yeah. liquid amber. And I think over the last couple of weeks you can really see that autumn colour is you can. Yeah, kicking in. Yeah, yeah when you mm. get the temperatures going down, yeah. it really just really, starts I to noticed, kick in. I noticed that the last week or yeah. so. Now, <clears> somebody <throat> is wondering, can we advise on the best spray to kill weeds on their patio driveway and also through their shrub beds if it's not too late? Well, no, it's not. first of all, it's not too late. Um, for patios and driveways, you can use products like PathClear, or Weed Free 360 would be very effective. Um, where else do they mention? Through uh, the shrubs? Yeah, everywhere really. Well again, just be careful through the shrubs. Obviously you want to be, you know, weaken or can damage the shrubs. But yeah. if you're careful, you can use the Weed Free 360 um, <clears throat> around the base of shrubs. <clears throat> What I would do is maybe get somebody to hold a plastic bag around the individual shrubs as you're spraying. So as long as you keep the weed free 360 off the foliage of the shrub, it won't damage it. Any any weed, any of the weed killer that drips onto the soil becomes inactive, it becomes neutralised. So as long as you're not spraying it in a way that it's getting onto the foliage of the hedge or shrub or area, then it won't damage that. It will only damage the weeds that it actually touches. So if you're very careful going through the shrub bed and get somebody maybe just to hold a polythene bag or just slip a polythene bag over the top of the shrub as you're going through the bed then that'll protect your plants okay so okay. weed free 360 you could use that through the shrub beds you could also use it on the patios and driveways just for any bits of weeds that are knocking around, around. Yeah. okay yeah. now a listener has a lot of apple trees they Good. are only two years old right should he be cutting them back at this stage two of the trees had no fruit at all this year right well look at um it was great that the other fruit, other trees yeah. fruited this year because it, it has been a difficult enough year for apples. Um, so, and young trees anyway, it, they're only two years old. Um, really, in the formative years, I would always advise that people spend the time training the tree getting the shape of the tree right. So you're coming up to the time of year for pruning them back. Um, and really, I would remove about two-thirds of any growth that made this year. So say the apples made three feet of growth, you're taking off two feet of that growth this year, cutting back to an outward-facing bud. Um, and you do that once the leaves have fallen, have fallen off the tree, which will be about another two weeks. Mm. So about the middle of October, get out your secateurs, cut any growth that the trees made back by two-thirds to an outward facing bud because you want the branches going out and really the, the function of that of the pruning is to get the tree to produce new new where you cut a stem it'll produce a minimum of two new stems okay. so you're doubling the amount of branches that the tree is going to have and hence you're going to double amount, the amount of fruit it's going to have in the future so for the first two or to three years I would spend the time shaping the tree particularly in the winter time again I'd have a nice clean stem so take off any branches that are maybe two feet below two feet remove those so you have a nice central clean stem and then the head of the tree should branch from there and any growth it makes this year shorten it back by two thirds and and that's that's okay. perfectly okay and trees generally it takes them you know in their third fourth to fifth years that's really when they start to to fruit very heavily okay. um, and so the first couple of years are used in shaping, shaping the trees. Right. The other thing you could do at this time of year is give them a little bit of potash, sulfur of potash around the base of the tree will help to just strengthen the tree through the winter and help it to produce, induce it to produce flower buds as well. Lovely. Now, uh, a lady has some lovely geraniums in the garden. They were right. in full bloom. Can she leave them out for the winter if she covers them? Well, if they're, if they're the, they're, you've two types of geraniums. You've got the Granny's geranium, you know, the lovely the red, ones in the pots. scarlet, yeah, in the pots. <laughs> My granny it, used to have them. In the window boxes. I think all our grannies <laughs> had them. Those lovely, spectacular red yeah. geraniums. They're frost tender, so the frost will kill them okay. dead as a dodo if you leave them out and you know just covering them with a bit of polythene or fleece really won't protect them but my advice really with those with the, with the the traditional geraniums is to take cuttings at this time of year and with geraniums again you take cuttings about six inches long about the thickness of a pencil or maybe slightly thicker remove all of the foliage just leave literally one leaf on top and they're different to, to other cuttings in that you leave them for a day to dry so take all the cuttings, prepare them, put them into a seed tray and just leave them on a windowsill for a day to dry. Then the following day, take them, 
put them into a little bit of rooting powder, put them into a pot and, and root them on a windowsill. There's no need to cover them with polythene. They'll, they'll, they'll root fine on a windowsill. And you can put seven or eight or maybe 12 cuttings into a standard pot. Do have the compost gritty, so a little bit of sand or a little bit of perlite mixed through the soil is a very good idea. So I would take the cuttings and if you do that, then you can just leave the plants to flower away for the rest of the season. Okay. They're going to die over the winter, but you've got yourself the new generation sitting on the windowsill protected uh, that can be planted out next April or May. Now, the, the other type of geranium is the herbaceous geranium, like Johnston's Blue or Geranium Sanguinium, mm. which are blue flowering, they're ground covering plants, they're totally hardy out of doors. So, but I'm assuming that it's, it's the traditional red, spectacular geranium that people use for bedding from pots and containers and those will die right. if you leave them out for the winter. Um, so my advice is just take some cuttings overwinter them and don't bother trying to save the big mother plants right. because they can be too, you know, you have to literally bring them indoors. Yeah, and you have to find space for them. <clears throat> find space, yeah. and even in a greenhouse or a tunnel, they can die off over the winter okay. if we get heavy penetrating frost. So taking cuttings is a simpler way to do them and they root very easily from cuttings. But do remember that tip. Prepare them, leave them for a day in a bright sunny windowsill just to dry a little bit mm -hmm. and then insert them into your into your pots with a little bit of rooting powder into a gritty mix. You don't need to cover them with polythene. Uh, just keep them keep the compost moist. So you might wash them once a week and they'll root within three to four weeks. You'll have great plants then for next spring. Lovely stuff. Uh, we're going to take a quick break okay. before time runs away with itself. Uh, so stay with us. Still lots more to come. Okay, now uh, I'll come to the one that's in front of me first and we'll backtrack then. What small tree can somebody plant in a large pot, something with good winter colour or berries? Um, well, top of my head, I, the one I would go for is one called Weeping Cotoneaster. It's lovely at the moment. It's an evergreen shrub. Uh, it'll grow, you know, it'll grow certainly uh, five, six feet. So it's a relatively large plant. Weeping structure, but lovely red berries at this time of year. So that'd be quite a nice one if the pot is it's a good large pot. Mm. Um, some of the other plants I mentioned this morning, the Galteria would be lovely. If it's, if it's a smaller pot, it's a smaller plant with lovely red berries. Pernetia is quite nice at the moment, the little red berries. The skimmy japonicas, they will bury for the winter as well. So there's lots, really. There's right, lots the of good berries. the ones we were berry. talking about earlier yeah, in the, yeah, for the pot all, Yeah, go for something evergreen with berries. So the cotone aster would be quite nice, the weeping cotone aster. Okay. Now, somebody's wondering what plants can be divided. Do they wait for greenery to die back? They've enjoyed the program all year. Great, Thank great. You. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, think of plants that will will uh, can naturally you can naturally propagate by division. Rhubarb is a great example. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. So you wait for plants like that to die back, uh, which will be another two to three weeks. So plants like hostas divide very well. Asters, you know, they're still in flower at the moment. So wait for another certainly three weeks, four weeks. The division of plants. What we mean really is you dig the whole plant up mm. out of the garden, you get your sharp spade, you split it into two or three pieces and you replant them back into the into new areas of the garden or back into the same hole again if you want. So put one piece back. Because plants like hostas or rhubarb or asters spread by underground stems. So you plant a small little plant and hey presto within a couple of years it spreads out and right. forms a, a thicket. And the great thing is that you can lift many of those plants directly out of the soil, split them up and transplant them. So it's a it's a way of being able to propagate those plants in the garden. So you put, put back into the hole a small clump because that's going to expand over the next couple of years again. So any of the herbaceous plants, herbaceous plants by nature are things like hostas, peony roses, for example, uh, the asters, delphiniums. They're flowering through the summer mm. months. Um, Many of them are kind of stately long stem plants. They die back then. Once we get into the frosty weather, they die back to nothing. But it's at that time of year that they go dormant. You can simply dig them up, split them up and transplant them. Okay, lovely stuff. Now, uh, somebody has a beautiful weeping willow taking pride of place in Great. their front garden. Excellent. But they've never known how to prepare it for the winter. They're wondering, do they prune it back in autumn or gently clip it in the spring as they've been doing for the past couple of years? More out of ignorance rather than clear not. let <laughs> <laughs> you're being very honest, Texter. Uh, so what's the story there for Well, uh, Well, weeping willows, generally, to be honest, you, they don't need a lot of trimming. If it's the small little willow, the one called Capria pendula, which is only a small, it only grows about six feet in height. It's right. a small little miniature uh, willow. Um, I wouldn't cut it back because in the springtime it's got lovely spring uh, buds, cackens that come on. They're the flowers of the willow that come on in the springtime. And uh, if, you're, if you're trimming it and clipping it, you're removing those mm. at this time of year. So really the, the only pruning that's done on willows is the removal of dead wood. So you check under right into the centre of the, the actual willow. If there's any wood that breaks 
you know, as soon as you touch it, it starts to break off. Any of that dead wood, that certainly could be removed, but the outer branches are well, left well enough alone. Now, if they're growing down on the mm, grass, grass and yeah. spreading, yes, a little bit of clipping in that instance is perfectly okay. But, you know, constantly trimming them back, and clipping them and, and that sort of thing is not necessary with willow. It's really just the removal of dead wood. Sometimes willows are grafted, so... The, you have two different willows growing together and often you on the main stem you'll get a, a, a shoot, an offset or a shoot growing out of the main stem. If that appears, that certainly needs to be cut out because it'll grow uh, oh, erect, upright right. and it, and you'll see it it, it, it. It's a branch going straight up rather than weeping down. That should be removed certainly on the main stem. But apart from that, it's really just the removal of dead wood and then an occasional trimming of the lower branches if they're going down onto the lawn area. But, but to be honest, you know, every two years, every three years is enough to be to cutting the... Yeah, right. to be to be trimming it back. And as some, they kind of die anyway, some of the underneath bits fall off. They can they? do, yeah. and, the, and the, the lawnmower can get it, give them a yeah. clip and so on. But yeah, you could tidy it up that way, but there's, you don't need to be out there clipping it all the time and, and trimming it back. Okay, it's a low-maintenance plant. A low-maintenance and like easy those. to grow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What kind of plants or shrubs should one plant for attracting bees and butterflies next spring? Well, we mentioned one of the great plants there, willow. Willow is, is a, an excellent plant for, for bees. It flowers very early in the season. It comes into flower in late February, March sort of period. And flowers over quite a long period. So willow, if you've got plenty of space in the garden, you could plant some of the wild willows. Uh, they would give uh, lots of nectar and lots of pollen in particular, particular which are, it's important to bees. And um, there are a couple of shrubs as well that I would plant. Mm-hmm. Forsythii, the lovely yellow flowering forsythii. Brooms, which come in a whole range of different colours. Um, and they're very good for, for bees, um, both on pollen and nectar. The winter heathers that I talked about, they would give a good source of, mm. of nectar and flower through the winter period. And the flowering red currant, Ribes sanguinium, King Edward. It's a very good <laughs> spring. It's almost like poetry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a very good... But just think of the plants that flower in the springtime. You know, the willows, the, the forsythii, the ribes, the, the winter heathers. Any of those planted now would be great for bees because from about the early March sort of period, once the weather starts to warm up, they start to forage. So anything that's flowering kind of mid-March onwards is, is good to plant at this time of year. Great stuff. Now, somebody's wondering, can they move a climbing rose and clematis that have been in the ground for two years and they'd also like to plant out salvia cuttings, which yeah. they've rooted? Okay, well, for, in terms of the rose and the clematis, no problem whatsoever. Uh, you can just, they're only two years in the ground, so they're relatively young plants. Dig them up now or over the next couple of weeks and transplant them you could just tidy them back the clematis in particular depending on what variety it is mm. if it's a spring flowering variety leave it alone if it's a summer flowering variety like uh, Nelly Moser or Jack Manii I would cut it to ground level dig it up transplant it and it'll reshoot then from ground level same with the rose you could just tidy it back slightly um, before transplanting it remember to replant at the same level that's important don't be putting them down too deep into the soil and just put in some good compost when you're planting it and that'll be perfectly okay the salvia cuttings if it's the perennial salvia so again you have two different types of salvia the annual bedding plants but they it sounds like they've got the perennial variety here the blue flowering salvias um, they can be certainly planted out at this time of year um, particularly if the plants are good and strong because they are winter hardy okay now, uh, can somebody sow blueberry bushes now? Yeah, again, a good time to... to, to uh, they're actually still fruiting, funny enough, in the garden. Um, it's been a good, good, very good season for blueberries. Remember the blueberries like a slightly acid soil. So going back to our heathers and rhododendrons and so on, they like that uh, slightly lower uh, pH, lower acidity type of soil. So again, mix some peat or some compost into the soil when you're planting some lime-free com- compost. Um, and But they're very good. They're very hardy. Uh, you Generally, for a family, you want to be planting about five or six plants because they don't, they're not like strawberries that just fruit in abundance within a week or two. They tend to fruit over a long period. So you're picking from June often right up to the end of August, often into September. So... To get enough to make your blueberry pie or whatever, you need about five or six plants. And they're long-lived, so they'll last about 50, 60 years. Oh, wow. So give them plenty of space. They grow like a shrub. So they'll grow between three and maybe five feet in height and uh, similar width. So you put them maybe into your shrub borders or put them in a bed maybe together uh, and space them at least three to four feet apart. Give them plenty of room. But remember that the soil needs to be slightly acid to grow them. But apart from that, they're actually dead easy to grow. They don't suffer pests and diseases. Um, They tend to flower and fruit reliably every year. And uh, they're great anti 
what antioxidants yeah they're they're terrific for (laughs) that yeah (laughs) and they're I was just going to say and they're delicious they're lovely to eat I mean this time of year you can pick them away yum 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 Uh, now what's the best time to move silver birch trees from one area of the garden to another they're about these ones now are about five years in their current spot and they're about eight to ten feet high okay so again just be careful moving silver birch particularly the five years old They'll, they'll transplant no problem at all but do take a very good root ball with them. Um, wait until the leaves have fallen off the tree. So I would wait till about the first week of November. Uh, dig them up then. They're shallow rooting so that you, you'll, you'll come across the roots very uh, very close to the surface of the soil. But m- make sure that you give good space and a good root ball. Take that with the plant and when transplanting then make sure to put down the same depth. Stake it well and just keep an eye on the watering next spring as it's initiating a lot of new roots. It needs plenty of, of moisture but they do transplant uh, relatively uh, easily and five years old is still a relatively young plant so it'll move no problem at all so middle of November anytime it has dropped its leaves dig it up transplant it but do be careful and take as much of the root ball as possible okay somebody got a small rhododendron do they have to use special compost yes so any of the, any of the rhododendron anything in the rhododendron family anything in the zelia camellias blueberries uh, summer heathers they all like the acid soil so again if you, you a nice idea if it's a dwarf miniature variety maybe grow it in a pot so get yourself a small bag of lime free compost uh, just use that on its own you could add a little bit of um, some slow release fertiliser and again there's a slow release fertiliser specifically for lime hating plants buy a little tub of that mix it up put it into your pot into a, into a container and put in the rhododendron and it'll, it'll be lovely next spring It'll grow if it's a miniature variety. It'll actually do very well in a pot over quite a long period. Okay, lovely. So, a listener has a garden shed that close that's close to the water. They have a spider problem, Porik. It's infested with spiders and webs. Uh, Would you have any advice on uh, maybe the removal of said spiders? Well, I mean the thing. Coral spiders. Yeah, I mean the thing about spiders is they. I mean, they don't do any harm. Yeah. They're there. They collect the blue bottles and the flea, the flies, and the all the other uh, annoying, annoying the, midges yeah. and so on. So, I mean, unless they're very bad, they're actually. If you look clear carefully now at this time of year, they're they produce their young, and they're you'll see the young in in the webs. Um, so you know. Only if you're really only if only you're if you, an arachnophobe. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, you could maybe take the brush and and, and you could tidy, an tidy up. Down. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of of killing them off, I I would have no suggestions. <laughs> to be honest, I would leave them alone. Leave them yeah. alone. They, they, the they're very spiders, beneficial. Yeah. They're I was watching a spider recently, and he was devouring a fly, and it was really interesting. To well, see that's it. it. Yeah. You'd be amazed the amount of, and particularly this time of year, the amount of wasps that get caught up in them, the amount of flies in general. Oh, I mean, they're there. Oh, yeah, I say, oh, which Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One less thing for me to deal with. Yeah. What small tree can I? Play? plant in a large well I suppose we can't oh no sorry we, we covered that, that I beg your pardon um, I have a large flowering begonia and pots they were super all summer do I need to store them for winter and when yeah and they're still good their begonias are actually flowering brilliantly at the, at the moment and will continue to flower for another two weeks so Yes, uh, you you do need to store the bulbs. So begonias produce, particularly those that are grown from a tuber, um, the large flowering varieties, they're grown from a corm or a bulb. They need to be lifted about the end of October, soon enough to start lifting them. Um, because if you leave them in the ground over the winter, the vine weevil will, will get them and the frost will probably get them as well. So what I would do is is dig them up in, in the, at the end of November, take off any stems or leaves off the begonia bulb, dry it in the greenhouse or a tunnel or on a windowsill and then I would dress it with green sulphur or yellow sulphur and that really works as a protective, as a fungicide to stop any rot getting into the begonia. The other benefit about lifting them is that it allows you to divide them in two. So you're pr- propagating your begonia bulbs by literally splitting them in February in two and that'll give you two new plants. So it is it's highly advisable to lift them in uh, late October, early November. You could do the same thing with dahlia bulbs mm. as well. Lift them rather than leave them in the ground um, where they may perish over the winter. If you lift them, it gives you that opportunity of dividing them and splitting them like you would split a potato. You know, the, uh, we'd often split a potato in two. You can do the same thing with tubers of uh, begonias and um, dahlias in next February if you store them. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of two repetitive questions and I'm just trying to move them on. Um, sorry. Uh, somebody's wondering, do we have the name of a mild garlic that people could grow? Um, there's one called Marco, which is very good. It's milder than the, than the you know, some of the traditional ones. So look for that one, Marco, M-A- M-A-R-C-O. Uh, it's a milder 
it's milder garlic the flavour isn't as intense yeah. as some of the the, the, uh, the regular varieties you can get them Cristo is another one which is very good so you can get them at you know different levels of flavour in terms of, of garlicness yeah so, or Martin's, I find if you uh, if you put your bulb into um, if you kind of roast the bulb of garlic in the oven rather than uh, applying the garlic directly onto whatever food you're having uh, it kind of takes the, the zing the, out the, of it. Well, the, the, that very strong taste. So you have kind of a milder, it is, and kind of, uh, it almost sweetens it up a small bit. It's oh, lovely. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And add it to your cooking then. Yeah. yeah. Roasting it actually Roasting sweetens it. Actually, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, roast it, and it, then it just squeezes out of the bulbs, and it's kind of, it's nearly like a garlic paste. It's lovely. Yeah, but you can you can buy the bulbs with, with different levels of, of, of strength intensity. As well. Yeah, okay. you can indeed. Now, uh, somebody says their wild birds are gone. They're having a bit of a problem with a cat. Anything that could do with the cat to d- deter it, I suppose, from the garden? Um, well, Not really. The, the, well, there are the the uh, cat scents, you know, the various yeah. crystals that will will, if used, deter the cats. Um, and there are some of the sonic. You can get a little sonic uh, sound yes. systems that will will deter cats as well. But really, with the wild bird, I mean, if you put the the, the feed, the wild bird feed or the nuts into uh, the feeding units and put them up good and high away from where, where the cat can get to the birds will find them and now is a good time of year to be putting out the wild bird feeders so any of those little peanut net uh, pe- yeah. peanut canisters uh, it's certainly you know if you put them up high enough it, you know the cat won't be a problem Okay and last question I'm afraid for this morning something is attacking my rose bush first comes brown spots and then holes on the leaves well, roses this year, um, I mean, there's been a huge amount of, of problems with right. them between black spot, between mildews. Uh, you're going to get different, even there's some bee species, believe it or not, that actually feed on rose leaves. I mean, we're at the time of year when roses are dying back, so I wouldn't worry really about them. Um, you're going to be pruning them back in the okay. next couple of weeks. You're going to be removing all of the foliage really for next year. What you could do if you want is to just kind of clean the bed as a cleaner. You could put on a little bit of our millitox over the winter period. That helps to, to cleanse the bed and get rid of any any disease problems and, and pest problems. So prune the roses back, make up your a little bit of our millitox and apply it over the rose bed and that'll cleanse the bed. But for next year then, it's just a matter of feeding the roses and using the rose clear on a regular basis. Right. And remember, you know, don't beat yourself up about it because it's just been a tough year with roses this year. Okay, very good. Alright, last programme next week. Next week we have our last programme. Uh, just to say to listeners, if they're knocking around on Thursday evening uh, in our garden centre in Turlock, and in Westport, we're uh, believe it or not, we have our pre-launch to Christmas. Oh, <laughs> that word! <laughs> so, if you're not doing, if you want to come in for a glass of mulled wine and enjoy kind of the festive oh, season, suddenly I'm interested. Yeah. Already. So, thurs- <laughs> this Thursday evening, uh, seven to nine p.m., drop into into Turlock or into uh, our Westport Centre, and we've got some just a preview to Christmas, okay. something interesting. Okay, lovely All stuff. Right. I'm sure lots of people will be along. Thanks indeed, Porrick. Talk to you next week. Absolutely. Next week, final gardening programme of the season coming up. That's my lot as well. Until next Saturday, just after seven. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend and golly of a boo.